Today on Ag News Daily. Well, I think it could add a little bit of volatility. I mean, it kind of depends on where this thing goes. I mean, you, it looks like it's not going to hit the hard red wheat belt, but you might see some pretty heavy rains a part of the soft red wheat belt, which could give a little bit of support. Good afternoon, everyone. It is me and Mike Pearson on the podcast today. Mike, how are you doing? Hey, not too bad at all. Ashton, how are you doing today? I'm good. I just got back to Lubbock yesterday. I've been kind of just hanging out, not wanting to unpack quite yet. So my room's a little bit messy, but I've got my little desk all in order. So you're unpacking as well. So we're kind of on the same page, I guess. Same story. It's a little hectic, but that's okay. Keeps you moving. And I tell you what else is a little hectic, Ashton, and that is the current situation about the sprayability of in-season dicamba after the Ninth District or Ninth Circuit Court's ruling last week. I know you've got a couple of updates for us. What have you been reading about on the dicamba issue? I have just been reading a couple of Q&A style articles and trying to figure out exactly what the ruling means for crops that have already been sprayed with dicamba, what farmers can do now with they with the dicamba that they already have, that they've already bought. And interestingly, a couple of states are putting out what the ruling means to the states specifically. Okay. So what have you heard? How is this breaking down on the state level? I'm not too sure on the state level because there are many states that have put out their own, I guess, news releases and stuff about dicamba. And I think that's kind of leaving it up to the states, I think, from my understanding. I'm not too sure. And the EPA, we're still waiting to hear what they have to say about the ruling. So I don't know that people are taking steps quite yet. Yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. It seems like everybody has their legal teams together and they're trying to make sense. A great listener of the podcast, Brian Mose, sent me a link on Facebook this morning to Missouri's recent press release. And the the Missouri Department of Agriculture, who their director is Chris Chin, who we've had on the podcast before, um, mentioned this. They issued their statement and their statement said this, the dicamba herbicide brands Extendamax, Ingenia, and Fexapan are still registered for sale and use within the state of Missouri and will be treated as such until further guidance is provided by the EPA. Uh, This interpretation may be updated at any time due to further enforcement guidance from the EPA. And they say they've worked over the last 36 hours in communication with the EPA to request legal clarification on what the court's decision means for Missouri. And I'm sure every other state is doing the exact same thing. And uh, basically, they're just trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And as of right now, it appears as though until EPA issues further guidance, every state is choosing whether or not to restrict the sale or use of those herbicides within their state. That's my understanding of things right now before you go and spray any, unless, of course, cough, cough, you got all of your Extendamax sprayed on June 3rd, um, then you need to, I would say, give your uh, local state or give your state department of agriculture a call and figure out exactly what the, the situation is. Another great resource, of course, is going to be your dealer. I, I know Bear has issued a statement. In fact, I do have a copy of that statement here handy. Let me pull that up. Bear issued this earlier today. 
They said that they, quote, strongly disagree with the ruling. Understandable, of course, Bear may extend a max. And they said, we will also await direction from the EPA on actions it may take in response to the ruling. We will follow up in the coming days with more details about the ruling and our next steps. They have created a website that if you are, uh, you know, growing Roundup Ready Extend soybeans, you can keep an eye on this website. It is roundupreadyextend.com. So pretty simple website. Um, and that's where they're going to be posting all of their information. So folks, if you're planning on using any of these uh, low volatility dicamba you know, uh, products in your crop mix this year, read up on it. It sucks. You got to do a little more work after you spend all this money on new technology. But you know, nobody wants to get out there and have the EPA change their minds midway through spring and have them slap a, a big fine on you. So check it out. Make sure it's allowed in your jurisdiction or spray it all a week ago. Cough, cough. Absolutely, Mike. And I guess we're just going to have to wait it out and see what the EPA says. But other than dicamba news, I was reading an article earlier today about the Pork Cares campaign, which is providing pork to Nebraska food banks. So the Nebraska Pork Producers Association has teamed up with the University of Nebraska's Meat Lab to provide pork to food food banks across the state. Producers donate a hog that is then processed by University of Nebraska students at the Meat Lab. And the team is processing, from my understanding, about 12 pigs a week, which is yielding 1,700 pounds of pork to be donated to those in need. Oh, that's fantastic. We're finding a home for those hogs that were getting backed up on plants or getting backed up on farms, rather. And they're going to uh, to serve folks who need the food. That is American agriculture doing well by doing good or vice versa. Exactly. Yeah, I love to see it. And actually, that's a great segue. Ash. I'm glad you brought up pork because we had a note out from the USDA earlier today that U.S. pork exports during the first quarter of uh, 2020, so January, February, March, hit a record high volume of over 2 million pounds of pork sold off our shores. Now, it is hugely important to note that sales to China and and Hong Kong, so those two were were mixed together, um, were a record 597,000 pounds. So of the 2 million that we sold, a little over a quarter went to China. That is up five times from last year's shipments to China, which of course were depressed, due to the trade war. So we're coming back together and it was 50% higher than the previous quarterly high exports to China, which happened in 2008 and 2011. In fact, sales to China outpaced growth in our other top markets, which have historically been Mexico, Japan, and Canada. So China really stepped on it and was getting lots of pork brought in. You know, We had been predicting this in the ag markets for some time, we knew that due to their African swine fever outbreak, they were going to need to be importing a lot of protein. Well, it looks like basically they waited until this coronavirus drop in price to really start getting their hands on some pork and helping support prices a little bit. So it's been a, it's been a good thing. Glad we could get some of this pork off our shores. It helps justify the expansion that this herd has undergone for the past two or three years, Ash. And so I thought that was interesting. We're getting some pork sold. Absolutely. And that's just great news to hear because pork, I feel like I've seen quite quite a bit of news surrounding the pork industry and some of it hasn't just been fantastic news. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that that's doing good, I guess. 
Yeah. Now, that is a market that has been struggling, and we talk about it just a little bit with today's Market Monday guest, Jim McCormick, which we will get to in just a little bit. Ashton, do you have any other stories that you're keeping an eye on today? I don't. It's a little bit of a slow news day. What about you? Well, I just have one, and it's not uh, super connected to American agriculture, but I think it's relevant when we step back and remember that ag is a global industry. As of right now, there are 70 ships lined up in Brazil's port of Santos to load, not soybeans, but sugar for export. Uh, The Brazilians say this export queue might take up to a month to clear. Um, Basically, a large share of the global trade turned to Brazil because there were very poor sugar harvests in India and Thailand. The uh, Brazil now has, unfortunately, which is comp or excuse me, you know, Complicated. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. It's complicating exports because they continue to see coronavirus outbreaks. So Brazil has this massive amount of sugar waiting to be shipped out. And yet these ports could close at any minute as these outbreaks continue, or at least loadings could slow down as workers call in sick. So it'll be certainly something to watch. However, there is a connection to American agriculture because if these ports are tied up exporting sugar, they won't be used to export soybeans which could give us a little more competitive advantage as we look at the global export scene, which we definitely do talk about with agmarket.net's Jim McCormick. What do you say, Ashton? Should we jump into the market so we can chat with Jim? Let's do it. All right. Well, folks, our markets today are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. For any ag hedging needs, give them a call. Their website is right there in their name. You can find them at agmarket.net. Net. Taking a look at the markets today, we've got mixed trade in the grains, corn higher, beans, wheat a little lower. July corn up two and a half cents at 333 and three quarters. December up two and a quarter. Close the day at 347 and a half. Looking at soybeans, the July was down three cents at 864 and three quarters. November down one and a half, finished at 878 even. Over in the wheat pit, Chicago, July down three and three quarters at 511 and a half. December down three, closed the day at 527 and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock, mixed trade in the cattle complex. June live cattle, well, June is in delivery. Let's talk August. August live cattle up 15 cents at 96.32 and a half. The October up seven and a half cents, closed at 99.37.50. In feeder cattle, the August down $1.10 at 133.07.07.5. The September down 95, closed at 134.52 and a half. Lean hogs found a little bit of strength today. The July up a nickel at 53.97.5. The August up 45 cents, closed at 57.80. And of course, we can't forget about the dairy market. Class three milk, boy, back on that rally. June, class three milk up above $20 today, closed at the high, up 32 cents to finish at 2020. July, up 28 cents, closed at 1895. Without further ado, let's kick it over to Jim McCormick. Well, folks, it is Market Monday. And of course, that Market Monday is brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. Joining us now, one of the big guys from over at agmarket.net, Mr. Jim McCormick. Jim, how are you doing today? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate it. It's uh, kind of exciting. Corn market closed higher on a Monday. What? I think it was the second, third week in a row we had a stronger start for the week for corn. So hopefully that uh, is a, you know, a sign of better times for the corn market. 
you know, hopefully it is. And Jim, that's where I wanted to take you right off the bat. We saw corn this last week move through some pretty important technical levels. And I haven't checked the close. Jim, did we get over 350 today in December? We did not get over to December, got up to 48 and a half. It looks like we're going to settle a couple cents higher, right around 347. So it was a, you know, it wasn't over that psychological 350 level, but we continue to grind higher. And that's a good sign. I mean, uh, I mean, the bean market was under pressure today. The meal market, the oat market was all under pressure today. And uh, that really didn't have any major impact on the corn market. So I take that as a definitely a positive sign for the corn bulls out there. So given that we didn't have some of that spillover pressure from the bean complex in corn, are there any new fundamental factors in corn? Or is trade finally just getting a little bulled up now that we've got some trends moving in an upward direction? Well, I think probably the biggest fundamental factor, Mike, was the commitment traders report that came out there Friday. I mean, we're estimating that short position after the adjustment around 267,000 contracts of corn. That is the only time they've carried a bigger short position for this time of year was last year. So the funds are carrying this immensely big short position at a time historically, seasonally, you tend to work higher. We did some research historically, 19 out of the last 20 years, we have a spring summer rally that touched the average insurance price in March, 388 this year. One year it touched it, the other 19 years you took it out. So there is a seasonal bias for this market to try to rally this time of year. And maybe that's kind of squirting some of these shorts out of their positions. Well, Jim, I mean, you on something really important right there. We've got a lot of growers who got corn in early or on time too slightly early this year. Conditions, as long as they haven't been flooded out, look pretty darn good for most folks. We got some heat that's now we're getting this crop up and out of the ground. Folks have been battered watching cash corn in the $3, 310 $320 level. Now you just mentioned 388 might be in the cards. Should growers be holding until we get close to 388 Do you want to be selling into this rally, how do you handle your marketing when it looks like this market might have turned a corner? Well, right now, I want to stress that 388 was a historical number, but, you know, history doesn't always, you know, it's happened every year, last 20 years. It doesn't mean, you know, we are definitely in a different type of year. I mean, I would find it hard to think we can get to 388 without a major weather problem, to be quite honest. I do think you can get a rally. If you look, you know, just on a retracement level, the 38% retracement from essentially your January high to your call, your meltdown low is right there around 355. Your 50% retracement is right around that 365 zone, which is close to the 100-day moving average. That's definitely areas, if you can get up toward that 365, I would encourage producers to really start implementing somewhat of a risk management plan. Because the fact of the matter is, as you said, 75% of this crop looks very good. All odds are we are going to have a very big crop. It looks like our total supply could might could be about a billion bushels more than what it was a year ago going into harvest. So there's definitely going to be all all indications are we're going to see some hedge pressure or some downward fall pressure later in the summer into the late fall. So yeah, 365 on up, I definitely start uh, you know getting hedges in place if you have not. Gotcha. Uh, before we talk about the soy complex, just a little bit, I want to get your thoughts on ethanol. Jim, we continue to see slow but steady rebuilding of, of ethanol production capacity in, in this country. Is that something you anticipate continuing? Well, I think you're going to see it continue. I mean, right now, your production, you know, if you look at where we were, we're right around 0.7 million barrels a day. Before this meltdown, we were close to a million, a little over a million. I don't see us getting to that number because the fact of the matter is we're still not driving as much as we were before the pandemic. 
So I do look for it to continue to strengthen, but we, we're kind of walking a fine line, Mike, because the reality is not, you know, the ethanol numbers are positive, but not every plant is out there going full bore. If every plant goes to full capacity, what's going to happen is we're going to run into the same problem. We're going to overproduce and you're going to see the market crash right back down again. So it's kind of a slow grind. I would encourage producers out there, you know, if they see the ethanol market, push them on a bid, not be afraid to reward that push because the fact of the matter is, like I said, is we're probably not going to get to the pre-pandemic levels for quite some time, unfortunately. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Jim, taking a look at the soy complex, you mentioned under some pressure today, but again, soy had a halfway decent week last week, despite China saying they're not going to make any more purchases and then stepping in and making quite a few purchases, according to, a, or at least unknown, stepped in and made some purchases of soybeans last week. Jim, what's your read here on the bean market? Are we going to be staying up above some of those technical levels we broke through this last week? I hope so. I mean, like you said, we rallied up last week on rumors and confirmation of China buying as well as that unknown buyer. It looks like they could have bought up to a million metric tons of new crop beans. That's a step in the right direction to to hit this phase one trade deal, Mike. Technically speaking, we closed above the 50-day moving average and that accelerated the buying last week. Today's low tested kind of that near-term high that was scored on the May WASD report right around 861 and held. So technically, as long as we hold that 861, I think you can see this market going higher because there's something else that a lot of people don't watch, at least we like to watch, is what's going on is in the currency markets. The U.S. dollar has been trending lower recently, and that makes sense when you think about it. We print money like we have to try to stimulate this economy. We're oversupplying the market with dollars. The dollars are seeing pressure. That makes our product less expensive on the world market. So that's bringing some China demand on top of it back to us. But on top of it, Mike, the Brazilian currency, which was under massive amounts of pressure up until a few weeks ago, it continues to firm back up, which is just one more reason for us to see demand come back to the marketplace. So I am optimistic this bean market will continue its near-term rally up. Now, when you take a look at the domestic soy demand situation, of course, we have, uh, we're still waiting to hear what the, the hog herd looks like in this country after we had this massive upheaval in the processing side. But I, do you have any concerns about meal demand domestically as we get into the summer? Or what are your thoughts? Where do you guys stand? Right now, I think the meal demand is going to be relatively robust. I mean, because part of the reason why I'm optimistic is we are not, like I said, because of the ethanol demand has come back, but we're not making near the distiller's grains that we were making a few months ago. So as the ethanol guys are not making that distiller's grains, you're seeing a little bit more demand for the meal. So I think you've got to be a little bit optimistic. Yes, we are going to see a reduction in the hog herd down the line. But right now through the summer, I think overall demand should be relatively robust. It's still going to take time to get this glut of protein through the system. Gotcha. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Jim, I want to just get your thoughts real quick on the wheat market here. You mentioned we've got this tropical storm going to be making its way up the Mississippi Valley, according to the most recent models here, as we look out for the rest of this week. Is there any possibility that weather event could add some volatility to wheat prices or is it all going to be staying too far east? Well, I think it could add a little bit of volatility. I mean, it kind of depends on where this thing goes. I mean, you, it looks like it's not going to hit the hard red wheat belt, but you might see some pretty heavy rains a part of the soft red wheat belt, which could give a little bit of support. The big picture, what's going on is parts of Europe and Russia in that area. They're a little bit dry, and that's also hopefully provide a little bit of support for the wheat market. And like the beans, the dollar, the weaker dollar we see 
also helps us get this wheat a little bit more competitively priced export market. So hopefully we see some more export demand also step up to the plate over the next couple of weeks as well. All right. Well, now let's take a quick look at the livestock markets. Jim, cattle, boy, I mean, they are back and forth. It seems we're a little stronger this morning in live cattle. Are we just waiting to get substantial direction in the cash markets? Is that what the futures traders are waiting for? Well, right now, yeah. I mean, the futures market, I think right now, is really confused as to what fundamentals do I watch. I mean, we saw that box beef market just essentially rocket ship higher to all-time highs, and now it's come crashing back down to reality. Um, so the market's trying to figure out what type of consumer demand do we truly have because that run-up was driven more on a squeeze due to the lack of production capacity due to all the workers getting sick. But the other problem we've got right now is we're getting very close to where we were. We were only about 30,000 head less killed last week than we were a year ago at this time. But the real wild card is production. Because these cattle are so heavy right now, I think our total meat production is only down a couple million pounds from where they were a year ago. So we've almost got a almost too big of a supply right now. And now the futures traders right now are going to wait to see, I believe, and see what type happens as we start opening up. Here in Illinois, we just started opening up allowing restaurants to eat outside. Chicago's just kicking in this week. So what we really need to do is see how quick will this consumer go back to the restaurants and start ordering that beef, because that is a huge part of the market. Um, the other thing we're just going to watch is how quick will the will the groceries chains drop their price of beef. When when the box beef went through the roof, you saw I saw hamburger as much as $10, $11 a pound. That pretty much took a lot of people out of the marketplace. Now the box beef has come back down. Hopefully that'll stimulate some demand. Beef tends to be your more expensive protein. And you got to remember, even with those better than anticipated job numbers on Friday, you're still looking at 13% of the American workforce unemployed. Considered before this pandemic hit, it was down to 3%. So we still have a lot of Americans that are hurting right now that can't afford the price of beef. So they will be, you know, looking for the low cost, be it chicken, be it pork, or be it beef. And that, you know, we'll see how that plays out in the grocery markets. Absolutely. Jim made a really great point there, listeners. If you can't afford it and the restaurants are open in your area, get out there and buy beef. Those servers need the tip income. The beef industry needs the beef demand. It's a win-win all around. And you get to consume delicious, tasty beef. No doubt about it. I mean, that is going to be the thing that helps the most is just get people out spending. We have a plentiful supply. We can start chewing through it. I do think in the beef market in the long run, you've got to be a little bit optimistic. We've seen the placements being down the last couple months. So we should work through this. There will be brighter days for the week for the beef market. If you look at the stock market, there's very there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of optimism. You don't want to bet against the United States. You got the NASDAQ trading at all time highs. The Dow futures, the S&P futures continue to run today. And you know, I think that's a good sign for where the market thinks we're going to be in the long run. You've got to be optimistic. 100%. Well, folks, we really enjoy working with the guys over at agmarket.net. Jim, before we let you go, how can folks get in touch with you? They can reach anybody the agmarket.net team at 844-424-6758. Perfect. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time. No problem. Is that what you needed? Big thanks to Jim McCormick from agmarket.net for talking to us today about markets. And if you want to keep up with the markets or keep up with the other news that we are sharing, you can follow us on social media at Ag News Daily. 
Absolutely, folks. Check that website. Get connected with our past episodes. And uh, hagnewsdaily.com is the website. You can also get connected with past, with other episodes on the Global Ag Network platform. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.